0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today, we are taking you back to 2019 for one of our mastermind events in Nashville with Mike Michalowicz. The first half of the podcast will be a Q&A with Mike, Paul, and our Mastermind members. They'll dive into all things finance like debt, taxes, profits, and cash equity. The second half of the episode will be focused on hiring. Mike talks about why he mainly hires part-time employees who get the same amount of work done as his full-time employees. Before we get into it, make sure to book your seat for PPM Live happening October 19th through the 22nd here in Orlando. Go to ppmlive23.com to book your seat and enjoy the episode.
1: Thank you for your talk, Mike. Fantastic, very exciting stuff. So a, a couple of questions. One is, do you have a system for how to start out when there is an accumulation of money in this one checking account? What to do with all that to start out with? Uh, as as you're getting into this system. And the other is, um, I'm sure it applies in some way. I know you focus on small businesses. Have you seen uh, how to apply this to personal finance? Sounds like it could be very translatable that way.
2: So in regards to your first question, if you already have accumulated cash, there's one of two choices. One choice is you can just put it all into OpEx if you haven't been profitable in the past, like if you haven't been taking a profit percentage or distributions, just put it all into OpEx and then every deposit going forward, you start following the system, that's option one. Option two is you figure out your percentages as best you can in advance, and then just allocate that existing money based upon the percentages immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a little more abrupt of a shift, so maybe better to do option one to give yourself a little more runway. And then in personal finance, yeah. So um, there's, there's, some people talk about Dave Ramsey. Definitely encourage you to explore Dave Ramsey's work. Uh, He has a book called The Total Money Makeover that speaks to this. I've taken profit first and followed the system in my own personal life. So, um, we have an account for, I'm going on vacation tomorrow, and we have an account called Vacation, so we know exactly what our budget is, and we've been saving money there. The, the next car we're buying, we've been paying for it into an automobile account for years now, and we're going to buy cash, you know, the next car. So, we definitely do to set the home account too. I, I think the point that's important though is that as business owners of a small business, our personal finances and our business finances are lockstep. As the business goes, so do we. The business is struggling, we're struggling. You know, we're doing well, the business seems to be doing a lot better. So um, it's very important that we live our life off the owner's compensation, treat that as personal income, and then do this process at our personal level based upon owner's compensation being our income and profit not being income but a big bonus on top.
1: Thank you. You're
3: welcome. If you remember the phrase, um, I think I introduced it a year ago. How you run your life is how you run your business. Oh, it's so true. Nothing changes. The, the conversation today with Jake this morning about how personally things have changed, the business has changed. It's, there's no difference. Uh, and the exact same concepts. I'm exactly the same at home with, um, you know, with the profit, the account, the money that's being spent. Take your eye off the ball in anything in your life and it'll come back to hurt you in multiple places. Dave.
1: So, Mike, this is a question I'd asked to Paul a little earlier, and he he said that your answer may be a little different from him. Oh, so, did he answer so, it incorrectly? He had <laughs> answered it on one of our group calls, um, but he he said your answer might be a little different. So, I'd be interested to get your take, and then this possibly have a little discussion. This on This is it a democracy the, between the two of you. two <laughs> is that uh, <clears throat> you know, at different points in your business, you may be optimizing for either revenue or profit or scale or growth in the business, and either in the beginning of a business or at the end when you're looking to sell it like you did with some of yours, your profit may not be the most important thing at that period of time. So for a business you know, that's not in necessarily a phase where they're optimizing for profit, how would your system apply either for a new business who doesn't have a lot of revenue coming in and needs to grow before they can start looking at overall profit or on the other end, a business on the other end, that is looking to get out and just looking to maximize the selling value of their business?
2: Great question. And um, one challenge I get asked often is people say that, believe that profit and growth are polar opposites, that you can't grow and be profitable if there's an exchange. So I challenge that to to businesses. We've actually found, so we have 150,000 businesses doing it. We've got 3,000 documented case studies. Consistently, businesses that have implemented Profit First are outpacing their competition in growth, which I know makes no sense. If you're more profitable, how can you grow faster? Here's what happens, the dynamics. The more profit you extract from your business, it forces you to be more selective in the spend because you have less money to spend and how you spend it. So people become much more selective. They focus on only selling the service offerings that actually are profitable. You'll may be surprised that a lot of things you do actually don't make money and a few things probably actually even lose money, so you become more selective. Um, You become more selective of your client base. You may notice that some clients are a lot more willing and able to pay and a lot better customers and other ones just bitch and moan the entire time. So we become more selective in our customers. When we take more profit, we start becoming a true niche specialist. So my kind of the challenge back to you is actually how do you increase profit and make that a facilitator of more growth? I shared in the captain's meeting, we talked about this baseball team, uh, the Savannah Bananas. And you should Google them. This is uh, a baseball team that implemented profit first. That's how I found out about them. They sent me a note and uh, they wanted to become a very successful, financially uh, successful baseball team. They implemented profit first. It forced them to to take more profit, reduce their spend, and then become very selective in how they spend. They became very innovative. They are all about uh, entertainment and different things but they found ways to do it with no money. So all the things I was sharing in the captain's meeting, all those things they do, they do it at no cost. One example is they realized that, I don't know if you know this, uh, baseball is kind of boring. Uh-huh. I don't know if you knew that. Um, and that people really want the entertainment, but they couldn't afford the entertainers if they took the profit first. So if you are a baseball player for the Savannah Bananas, the first practice you have is not how to catch better or throw faster, it's actually how to do line dancing. They bring in a line dance instructor And so the team becomes the entertainers, and they do these crazy antics that are so entertaining. As a result, the Savannah Bananas has 5,000 attendees, or a minor league team, where the average minor league team gets 300 people attending a game. They get 5,000, and they sold out three consecutive seasons in a row, 5,000 physical attendees every game, because they've taken more profit. They've actually grown faster than any other baseball team. So that's just the kind of the pushback I want to give anyone that's thinking about that. Growth and profit are not polar opposites. They can work very complementary, if you push innovative thinking.
1: Okay. Thanks.
2: Thanks, Great
1: question. Uh, my question's kind of piggybacks on Debbie's off of payroll. Um, recently switched to S Corp. I just have myself and one other employee and one contractor. But now that I'm on payroll, um, we're obviously already paying taxes Right. So one question I had was, do we then only set aside tax money for the additional profits?
2: Great question. No. So if <laughs> you've been, yeah, so you, <laughs> no, no, it's okay. My
1: husband's going to be really happy if he's right about this. Oh, <laughs> okay. oh is he here?
2: Is he in here? He's right there. So you nailed it, dude. <laughs> he gave me some money. He's like, just just take care of me. Yeah, he said.
1: okay.
2: Um, so here's how it works. You When you have an S Corp, you ha- you're required by law to have a paycheck come to you. And a paycheck will have the FICA and all the federal stuff taken out of it. That's coming out of your pocket. A true financial freedom is not paying taxes. In an S corp, we'll still have that tax account set up. Your tax will still be allocated on a quarterly basis. Every 90 days, you'll get what's called a tax disbursement. I'm sorry, a tax reimbursement distribution. It's, a, it's basically another form of profit distribution. But all the taxes that's been coming out of your paycheck, your company will issue a check to you saying, "Thanks for paying those. Here's the refund for that, and pay you back." so that the taxes are still paid by your business. Does that make sense?
1: What money do I still need to set aside when I'm allocating out my serving tray?
2: So for most businesses, we, we suggest 15% goes into the profit account. Okay. Um, but over time, you'll adjust it. You'll notice to pay you back the taxes that are coming out of your paycheck um, that you don't need 15%, maybe it's 12%. So it'll adjust over time.
1: OK, now I got you. So for owner's compensation, yeah. that's supposed to be my pay. So, if I'm already account. on payroll, do I just adjust my payroll to meet that approximate percentage?
2: Kind of. So, <laughs> you, so, you have a payroll account. You, right. right. That's a, uh, mandated by an S Corp. And so, ADP, or whoever you use, pulls money out there. You will still have an owner's comp account, and you will still allocate money to owner's comp. And right before payroll's due, you'll transfer in that sum. The reason is the behavioral addiction that forms. If you or your husband are the one transferring the money and you transfer money into your owner's comp account, you'll see and build that dopamine response, that muscle of, hey, I'm paying myself well, and then you transfer it into the payroll account just to do the payroll processing. But we need to ensure that your, your compensation as owners is always reserved, so okay. you never compromise it. Perfect. Cool. I got perfect on that. Good. Uh-huh. Doing, you're now. doing good, you're doing good. Great question.
1: Hi, I have a question about um, doing like a SEP account. A SEP account? Okay. Yeah, like a, I mean just retirement. a retirement. So does that come out of profits at the, like every quarter or should we be SEP taking, creating an additional account for SEP specifically?
2: Great question. So yeah, so SEP is, they're often called SEP IRAs. It's a retirement account and good job you're doing that. You're saving for your future. Um, often that will, you, you determine how it comes out. We have a rule at our office. We say, if in doubt, add another account. So, at my own, my own company, we have like, it sounds crazy, but we're up to like 16 different accounts for all these different purposes. We have a retirement one, and we put 2% of our income into retirement, and it funds myself, and I have a partner too. It funds our retirement. So, that's what I suggest you get to. But, um, Owner's Comp is it, designed to represent a few things your actual pay. But if, if your accountant advises that you should buy a car through your business to reduce tax consequences, that's another form of compensation. So that can come out of there. You could, you could pay your SEP from there too. But ultimately, I would SEP its own individual account. Yeah. Cool. Good job.
0: Hey, Mike. Hey. I've, I've got a question about uh, taking on debt. <laughs> so what are, what are your thoughts on taking on debt for uh, growing the business? like? Major capital expenses or uh, upfitting a building, um, so because I'm in a position where do I pay myself less or, and put more money in profit, so I don't have to take on debt, or is it okay to take on debt for things that are going to push the business forward? In uh, okay,
2: so so what I'm hearing is you could pay for that stuff if you took a lower salary? Yes. Okay. Or you could take on debt and continue to pay yourself the same way. Uh, yes. Okay. So that's good that you're acutely aware of that. Many people don't even realize it's a, you know it's a shell game that happens. Is is what I'm hearing you saying is well, if I take on debt uh, to improve the building, that money's really going to me because I don't have to cut my salary. So I'm taking on debt to pay myself. Um, or I could cut my pay um, and pay for this stuff, and I don't have to take on any debt. Which one would you more be more acutely attuned to? Like what would you feel more and be more cautious with? the scenario where you cut your salary to pay for stuff or if you use other people's money? You know, uh, <laughs> was that kind of, I kind of that was dicky of me. I'm like, other people's money? Um, w- well, you know, I've kind of
0: bootstrapped this thing from the beginning, yeah. subleasing a hundred square foot yeah. space out of a gym. So very cautious spend Right, because I'm, I'm kind of a debt-averse uh, yeah. person. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if, if I'm being too conservative in that area. Great question. And, and uh, you know. Sacr- like my family is sacrificing because of my yeah. stintiness, right? Yeah. So, does it make sense to um, pay myself more and take on debt or uh, do what I'm, I'm doing? not a
2: fan of debt in many cases, except for one where debt is leveraged. And most people don't understand debt leveraging. Debt leveraging is where if I borrow from you two dollars, I have a guarantee a return of three dollars within one month or two months. There's a time frame and a guaranteed return. That is a great bet. If I know I'm getting something back, most people don't do debt leveraging. They do debt aimlessly. Oh, if we improve the building, we'll probably get more people in here because it looks cool. And that's literally the decision, right, we make. And it's so arbitrary that we put ourselves, and I'm, I'm not saying that's your scenario, but that's how I would behave because I've done that. I'm like, oh, bigger building, nicer car, people love that stuff. No. And so um, debt leveraging is where you can guarantee a return. So I would just argue don't use any debt unless... You know, by expanding the building, that you have an extraordinarily high profitability of a greater return because now you get a new tenant in or something like that. So just be very selective before you spend or leverage debt. Okay, thank okay. you. Good. Yeah. Too long for time, you. Um, yeah, I guess there is. I mean, you have to calculate it out. Like, you know, if I got a, if I invest a dollar and I get a hundred dollars back, I'll wait five years for that. If I invest a dollar and I get fifty cents back, I won't wait five years for that. So you, there's a relation to return over time.
1: I had a couple of questions about the profit account, so yeah. I was really excited because I was going to take a profit distribution tomorrow. But then today I found out I can only take half of it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah.
2: Um, well, hopefully so you're <laughs> half as happy now.
1: I mean, half half's better than zero, but I, yeah. Um. So, question is like, why not take it all? Yeah. Because um, tomorrow, but and <laughs> the second question is, <laughs> one of one of the things you said in the past is to or in your book was just put 95% of it into debt.
2: Oh, do you have debt?
1: Yeah, yeah, I have debt.
2: Okay, So here's Um, the rule. So um, the reason we like to take out 50% of it is so you start building what's called a cash equity position in your business. That means money will always be staying in the business. And when a business has its own cash, you're not dependent on other resources for money when you need money. It puts you in a good, protective position. If you ever decide to sell your business, I hope people here do sell your business. Uh, the, more ca- the more profitable your business is and the better cash position, your valuations will typically increase dramatically. So it puts more value in your business. So that's the reasons behind it. Um, and re- if you have debt in your business, um, I'm very debt-averse too. I'm a big proponent for eradicating it. When the profit comes out, the only other exception with profit is, if you have debt, let's eradicate the debt first and then reward you. But as opposed to using 100% of that money it comes out to crush debt, we also need to get the endorphins going. We need to give you a portion of it. So that's why we do the 95% rule. 95% to crush debt, 5% for you. I know it's not a big chunk of money, but it's some money. And then we keep that going. Once all the debt's eliminated, then all the profit distributions go to you. Okay, cool. we, we also, if, uh, if anyone's not familiar with the debt snowball, that's Dave Ramsey's technique. That's a great strategy in business, too, to eradicating debt. Um, just look it up. Debt snowball is a good system. Great system.
1: And then, second question is: what do you think about profit sharing with employees? And I love it. Have we you do seen it. people do it well?
2: We do profit sharing with employees so here's a good example. Um, i stay yeah I just stayed at the Hyatt House, I guess down the road, and then um, the last trip uh, I was two days ago i can't remember the city now. Um, I stayed at La Quinta in oh Baltimore um, and the, the hotel I was speaking at was like three hundred dollars a night. The hotel I stayed at is that. $85 a night. The reason is is because Morgan, one of my colleagues, books the hotels and she's part of the profit share. And she goes, Mike, if, if you stay if you stay at a nice hotel yeah so if I stay at a nice hotel, it hurts her. So so uh, you should see some of these shady places I go. Um, and when I come out I come out of the hotel like a La Quinta dress like this people are like, what the fuck are you doing? Uh, and I fly economy and um and I love it because I get to part of that profit too. So we do a profit distribution. How we do it is um, when the profit comes out, like it did today, Monday morning uh, every employee will get 20% of our total profit distribution. So we say there's $10,000 in there, we take 50% out, that's $5,000, 80% goes to the owners, the ones who took the risk to start it, 20% for the uh, employees. And if you're a part-time and work one hour a week, you get the same sliver, as long as you've been with us for a year. Everyone gets the same sliver. So some people actually make more money at our company on profit distributions than they do even out of salary. Um, and they love it. So my employees, it'll be all over Facebook, like they're gonna talk about how they're gonna celebrate with their money. And so they're very vested in it. And they make great decisions for our company. They keep our costs down.
0: You may have already answered the question. Can you expand upon, like, if I'm already debt leveraged and trying to figure out, explain the 95.5 portion of this as far as, you know, have already got the debt and working towards paying that down, is it not right to start using the profit first? To carry-
2: great, yeah, so if you have debt, should you start? Yeah, great question. If you have current debt, should you start profit first? The answer is you have to. The only way to eradicate debt is by being profitable because debt is an expense that you incurred in the past that you couldn't afford or elected not to afford. And the only way to pay off that debt is today making more money than you're spending, which is called profit make more money than you spend, now you've reserved cash to pay off debt, so you have to be profitable. The Profit First system will enforce you to get into the profit habit, you'll be allocating money to a profit, when it comes out, we'll use it to crush your debt, a little will go to you, because we want to keep your muscle going, and you'll be in the profit habit, so once all that debt is gone, then all the profit goes to you. Cool. Yeah, good question. All right,
3: everybody happy? Oh, last one, Sasha, come on the last one.
2: Uh,
3: Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks.
0: One question about debt-averse. For those of us who... My whole family grew up in buildings, so I'm all about getting land and buildings and stuff like this. For me to try to build up enough profit to actually buy a building or buy a piece of land, what strategy do you give us? Do we save up like 50% to be able to buy it so it doesn't put as much strain on the business? Or what have you seen other successful businesses do?
2: Yeah, so I mean, you're buying assets. Most debt is used actually for expenses, to cover payroll, uh, to pay for advertising, stuff like that, it's it's a one-time expense. You're buying an asset, something that can actually give you an ROI, either by selling those buildings, maybe you have tenants in those, I presume. So w- what I've seen other businesses do is they get really uh, meticulous about knowing the return they're gonna get back from the building. And then, then it's, a, it's a form of debt leveraging again. If I put in X, how much will I get back by the end of this year, and they calculate it out. Then they make a decision based upon that. I encourage people to use as little debt as possible, and use as much money of their own as possible, because it's painful. Spending other people's money, OPM, other people's money, very easy. That's why credit cards are so, e- it's so easy to buy on credit cards, because it ain't our money. 30 days later it is, and that's what's, oh shit. But when we spend it. And the same with any kind of loan, SBA loan, any kind of building loan, it's so easy to spend other people's money and we spend it often excessively. Oh, let's get the nice you know, accoutrement for this building. When I use my own money, I'm way more disciplined in the spend. So I always encourage people, even when it comes to buying buildings, is to spend as little money as possible. Great example, we talked about Dave Ramsey, a $600 million company, they just bought all these buildings, everything for cash, everything's cash. They got zero debt there. So you can grow a very successful business without
3: all right, so um, question I wanted to, to dig into. When we spoke in the room with the captains, you talked to me, or you briefly spoke to us about your chiropractic friend. Yeah. And you said that he uh, realized that there was a friction point somewhere within his business that forced him to uh, remove something from it that ultimately changed the model of yeah. the business. Can we expand on that conversation?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So his name is Drew Slootmaker. He was my chiropractor and uh, in New Jersey. And um, the problem was we need to ask our customers, you know, what do they like about us? But I think just more importantly, ask what they don't like. I shared in the room, if you ask any of your customers, like, what are we doing wrong or what don't you like about us, they won't tell you the truth because it's socially inappropriate. It causes conflict. The best question to ask is what don't you like about our industry? So what don't you like about PT? Chances are some of your customers have gone elsewhere. And they can be much more candid because now it's the person outside the room. So I, I told Drew, like, ask your customers what they don't like about chiropractic care. Why would they come to you? And the most common feedback he got was his billing practice. He's like, I just feel like, the customer said, I feel like I'm getting nickel and dined. Every time I show up, it's $50 here, this, that, it's always these add-ons. So whatever's wrong with your industry is your biggest opportunity for standing out from the industry. Fix it. Just fix it. So I, I asked Drew, I'm like, what can you do about this? He, and we said, these what ifs? He goes, what if, what if I just build a flat rate? It was, I think, three fifty dollars a month, unlimited visits, you won't build, be billed a dime more. Let's just try it out and maybe it's a big flop and people take advantage of it and we're screwed. And, uh, but maybe it works. So he went to 350 a month. He made more per customer, like, like double. And people were, the irony was this, people aren't coming less frequently. And I think it was because they could come whenever they want, there was no rush to come today. So they're like, oh, I'll go later. So actually 7-Eleven experienced this. Um, 7-Eleven used to be open from seven to 11, that's how they got the name, seven in the morning to 11 o'clock at night. 7-Eleven, this is decades ago, but they made a shift to 24 hours. This was a fascinating thing. They got more business, not during the odd hours after 11 o'clock at night. They got more business during the normal hours. And what the conclusion was, when people felt that they had full access to you at any time, they would go at the most convenient time for themselves. They just knew you'd be open. They didn't have to worry about thinking about the time. Well, Drew experienced a similar phenomenon. By being available all the time, customers could now cherry-pick when they wanted to come, and they actually came a little less frequently, so his profitability went up. There you, there
3: go. you go. Can we talk about QBR, about five minutes? Yeah. So the question in the room was, um, when we were speaking, what, how do you um, ultimately find out what the thing is that, that people uh, want from you, and what makes you uniquely you know, different, if you like, but what's the thing that funds that? What's the thing that, you know, if you're going to, what was the example that you used? UPS? FedEx. FedEx, So FedEx's promise is to to deliver on time every time. So if the promise is to deliver on time every time, the focus has to be on what creates that. So if that's the effect, what's the cause? And in FedEx's case, it was logistics. So for them to get that um, promise delivered to the patients, they could never ever, or to the customers, they could never ever take the uh, eye off the ball on logistics. So Carrie asked me the question and it was fun she said um, well what you know what's what's your uh, QBR if you like in the physio business and I um, rambled around something to do with uh, front desk stuff emotional kind of connections and so on but then as the conversation expanded because it was a great it was a great uh, you know it was a great question I genuinely looked at my business and think all right what makes my physio business what's the thing that they come back for it's undoubtedly the people connection it's undoubtedly undoubtedly, non-negotiable, the Vickys, the Beckys, the Jesses, that conversation, that welcome back, that welcome to Paul's world, Uh, great to see you again, how's the kids, that's it. So then then I said, my initial reaction was, what what would be the thing that drives that? And I actually said, initially, marketing. Then I went, no, 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 Mm. no, no, hiring,
0: Mm.
3: hiring. That if I take my eye off the ball with hiring, and recruitment and bringing in somebody who can do that, my business will go to shit. What's been the topic of the last two days? The importance of hiring, recruiting, and coaching, which the majority of people in this room right now, the pain that they're running into that is stopping the business growth is nearly always people in hiring.
2: Oh, I got so many hacks for that. So let's talk. Uh, let's talk, let's talk about it real quick. Yeah. So the QBR, I wrote a book called Clockwork. It's, it's from there. And it's the QBR is the one. Activity that your business is differentiating on. It's always an activity. But hiring is a great example. So we've had great success. I'm actually going to write a book um, about hiring at some point in the future. Um, there's, but a,
3: there's a good one called The Hiring Solution. The Hiring Solution? Yeah, you, you should check it out. Oh. Yeah. It's by a guy called Paul. So
2: my book title is The Even Better Hiring Solution. <laughs> okay, so- okay,
3: okay, I like this. I like this. Is that, what, is that once is that you've pinched all my ideas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, forget yeah.
2: that. That's... I do a little R&D, <laughs> rip off and duplicate. Um, so, yeah, it's R&D. So, uh, here, here's a couple of hiring things I've done is um, I, I would argue I have extraordinary employees and um, first few things, I've never hired someone in my industry that understands what I'm doing. I found that when someone comes in my industry, they come with baggage. Now, listen. I owned a forensic business where we did computer crime investigation. I can't tell you how many law officers wanted to work with us. I would not hire them, not because they weren't good people, but they came in with their protocol. I had to unwind everything. I'd rather have people that have great attitudes, energy, drive. You can give people skills. You cannot give them attitude, cultural fit, energy, drive. So so seek on those intangibles you can't hire for. The second thing, and this this is going to sound crazy, um, but I'll tell you why it works. Um, Well, two things we hire almost all part-time employees. I'm kind of starting to retaliate against full-time unless it's absolutely necessary. And here's the reason. I found that full-time employees, if they work eight hours or 10 hours a day, still only get about three or four hours really of work done. Because, you know, we get distracted, and and we have to, we have to recharge our batteries, so we hop on Facebook, we talk to people, there's always social elements that go on. I hired a part-time employee, uh, this is years back, I hired her for three hours a day, her name is Amy. I gave Amy eight hours of work. D- not even thinking. It was, like, here's your work. And she was about to leave the first day. I said, oh, how did the first day go? She said, got it all done. I'm like, all? Oh? She's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, that's good. <laughs> she came back the next day. And I, I gave her eight hours again, and she got it all done in three hours. And that was like my, oh, gosh, moment. That part-time people do the Facebook and all that stuff at home. They're coming in. They're ready to work. And, and they get the three hours done in three hours as opposed to kind of sp- sporadically over eight hours. So I found part-time employees are wildly productive for me uh, and do more work. That plays into Parkinson's Law I talked about earlier with the toothpaste tube, less time, we gotta get stuff done. So these people are like animals. Um, now here's the craziest thing I do, and you gotta be very careful about doing this, but it's been a dream for us. We pay, initially, a very low salary, I mean very low. The starting point for our company is $10 an hour, and I don't care who you are, and I know that's, that's, not, that's not an affordable living wage. Uh, To the point where our ads, for example, he's hired uh, an administrator. said, uh, you know, great administrative job, uh, but first let's get real. The pay here is effing horrible. (laughs) what it says, we pay $10 an hour. We don't even know how anyone can live off of that. So if you're looking for a job where you're looking to get paid well, this ain't the job. Then it says, but if you're looking for a culture that is amazingly fun, if you're looking for XYZ, maybe you want to experience us here. What we've done is we've hired people that salary, and there's a large population, that salary is not important to them. Maybe they, they've had the income from a spouse that's covering for them, or whatever. They're looking for something else, like a walking distance. One person wants to be able to walk to work who comes to our office every day. Maybe they're just looking for some other experience. And um, now I know that I don't have to worry about always upping the salary and, and that they're gonna be looking elsewhere for salary. I just have to give them an amazing environment. The surprise is, and we, we keep it super quiet, we don't tell anyone, usually after a year. So it's a long time living at a low salary. We know salary is not a consideration. We will up them to a salary that is more than reasonable for their position because they deserve it. Um, This is a technique that Zappos does, but differently. Zappos will pay you a a lot of money to leave the company. They'll put a big check in front of you saying, hey, if you're willing to leave right now, you can have this $5,000, knowing that if you don't leave, that you'll never forget that you rejected $5,000 to stay. So it's a way of kind of buying loyalty we go even further with that $10 an hour. And, and it's unbelievable the people we've recruited. Conver- the minute.
3: conversation yesterday was about that. Literally how significantly less people than you currently believe. They're not looking, you know, they're not looking for more and more and more money. And it's a fear in this room, that I, that I, in, in every room with business, that I have to keep up in the ante to, to keep yeah, people. Yeah, the worst And ultimately, thing. everything's going up except your reimbursements. All of your expenses, all of your salary, your biggest fixed cost in assets, staff, is going up or what feels like up every year. And because there's a lack of understanding and just belief in the fact that people want cultural, they want a good place to work, they want a leader to buy into, a boss that they believe in, that who believes in them and so on. All of that does come into uh, play when it comes to hiring people.
2: And I, I think make, in, and have fun with your weaknesses. So our, we're in a historic building in New Jersey, it's an old colonial building, it's three stories up. By law, it's mandated there's there can be no elevators. And so it's a walk up, and it's a, it's a big walk up. So our ad say, includes free gym membership. Uh, <laughs> walk up three flights of steps every day and your cardiovascular fitness will be amazing. And um, it's a weakness of ours, but because we, make, we poke fun at it, people embrace stuff like that.
3: Last question. So a lot of people in here trying to step back from day-to-day operations. Just give us one or two insights into how you've got any of your businesses where you've been able to come back Obviously, even in this business, you're still in it, but yeah. I, every interaction that we've had has been with somebody else, and ultimately the, the product, if you like, right. has arrived here. So he hasn't had to do any of the work, if you like, you right. know, to, 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 to facilitate being here. How can people kind of learn something from that from you as to still running this business without having to be the people actually touching the patients?
2: So I'll give you two things. So first of all, I'll tell you the danger of the superhero syndrome. Um, it's something I lived with for way too long and I suspect some people in this room do, it's where you swoop in and save the day in the business yet again that's the ultimate power of an entrepreneur you know, that, that client that's really PO'd and you're going to save them, you swoop in you fix it, the employee's going to leave you save the day again but if you think about superheroes like Superman or Wonder Woman or my wife's favorite who's Black Panther he, God forbid, he rips his shirt off, my wife's like oh <laughs> so he's my nemesis, he's my nemesis. Um, that handsome man. So, um, but these, these superheroes, if you think about it, like, su- there's no movie like, s- about Superman's destruction. Like, I- if you watch Superman, he comes in, he fights Lex Luthor. The military, the police are like, oh, Superman, please save us. And he fights off Lex Luthor, but he destroys all of New York City. And he's like, oh, sorry, that's, that's your problem. Like, there's no movie like the 50 years of recovery after Superman. But that's what happens. And, and the military becomes wildly dependent upon the superhero. The exact same experience happens in our business. If you're the superhero for your business, you are leaving a wake of destruction behind you. You're swooping in you're fixing one thing and destroying 50 other things that your employees have to fix without telling you because it's, don't get the boss upset. And um, they're, you're, they're becoming so dependent upon you. It's, um, you won't believe how dependent your employees are on you. And if they're coming in and asking you questions, any questions, they're dependent upon you. Which I do here, boss, How about this? Question, how we invoice? What, what, what? That means you're a superhero. So first thing is we gotta get over that ego. Give yourself a new label. You're not a superhero. You're a super visionary. You you have a clear outcome you want for your lifestyle, your colleagues' lifestyle. Get very clear on it, and then align all your resources to get there. One thing I've done with my business, I know exactly where I want my business to be. I've met and I continue to meet with every one of my 14 employees. We're tiny. I meet with every employee, and I get to know their personal dreams. When I understand what everyone, like Amy wants and Kelsey wants and the other Mike wants, when I know what they want, My job is to align their personal dreams, to make those dreams a reality in the path toward my vision, my dream, and they're very engaged. Mike wants to be an entrepreneur himself one day, so every time we have a meeting to discuss anything entrepreneurial, the other Mike comes in and he sits in and just listens in. Amy, like I told you, she simply wants a job where she can walk to work and, because her husband travels a ridiculous amount, that when he's home, unexpectedly, that she can leave work while at work. like She can call out from work while at work, is what she wants, so we have that structure. She can leave anytime she wants, and she's extraordinary as a result. So you have to understand your colleagues' dreams and align it toward your vision. And the last thing I want to share is four-week vacation. I, I read about it in the Clockwork book. Every person in this room needs to take a four-week vacation. And what I'm saying is, not tomorrow, not tomorrow, um, but within the next year, you've got to put in the calendar. And it's a full digital and, vi- and physical disconnect. No work no checking in how we doing. A full disconnect. And when you commit to going f- away for four weeks, and I'm not, I am not—I don't care where the vacation is. You can visit your mom you know, or, or your mother-in-law. Actually, that's worse. So visit your mom. But, yeah, you, you can do whatever you want. What I care is that you're, you're not in the business because what will happen if you commit to a four-week vacation a year from now, tomorrow is going to be a different day. Tomorrow, come in and say, oh, my gosh, I can't do this work anymore. I actually have to empower my teammates to do this. I need to find a way that if I'm not here, the business can operate. And um, we have a lot of people that have read Clockwork now that are doing this. I've taken uh, multiple four-week vacations. I'm doing my next one tomorrow. I'm going to California and other places. Um, as an, an author and speaker, I found ways to, to continue the business without me. So there's now 30 people that do a profit-first presentation um, without me. So last Friday, we did Tally of the Week. We delivered, I think, uh, it was about 25 profit-first presentations, and I only did two last week. So I found ways to even disseminate that work. So commit to a four-week vacation, do it, and you'll have this instant mind shift. And the goal of this four-week vacation is if your business can live and thrive, even when you're not around for four weeks, it can live and thrive forever. That means there's no dependency upon you. One final thing is I was teaching this, I was in uh, the Netherlands last week uh, in a town called Armisforts, and I was out there, and I'm like, you guys, you got to take a four-week vacation. And one person's like, we're Europeans? That's all we do. So (laughs) in Europe... Every, and BMW is doing okay, right? Like every August, Europe shuts down and BMW and all those amazing companies in Europe go on fine. So it, it's really a phenomenon, really f- mostly for the Western mentality that we need to fix.
3: It's stunning, this conversation. Listen to Kevin Bandy's podcast. I, I, this is exactly what I said is that coming from the UK to the US, the... Cultural belief around the vacation periods here is stunning. Like I'd be shocked if I, if me and Natalie would not have it. We just couldn't get away. Like the 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 acceptance and the trophy, if you like, that seems to be here of not taking a vacation in in England. You just couldn't even con- con- comprehend one week a year off, not not taking time off over Christmas or around birthdays, whatever it will be. And all I pointed out on the podcast was, it's a fucking cultural belief, yeah. that's it. You, you're literally being trapped by a cultural belief that to do more and 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 not take any vacation is gonna solve all of your problems. And as I pointed out to a few people, if after two, three, four years of not taking a vacation, you still haven't solved the fucking problem, <laughs> there's a bigger problem, yeah. right? And it ain't taking another two or three weeks off that's gonna break the business. Point being, it's all in your head. All in your head. And by the way, you go all the way to Australia, where my brother lives, fuck. It's a different, it's a different world altogether. Yeah. My brother lived out there in Australia. Any excuse that those guys can get to finish at 1 o'clock, they're on the beach and with the a barbecue drink. and a drink yeah. in their hand. Like, it's the complete opposite. The, the, the Aussies are, are, are this extre- extreme, Britain somewhere in the middle in Europe, and the U.S. is, is so extreme for whack, 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 whack that I'm not 100% sure that it's it's needed, and in, in fact, it isn't. There's no there's no person on earth that can sustain 51 and a half weeks of the year running a business week after week after week after week. So, values are 100% in line there with with that wrap-up conversation.
2: Please share it with them and if you've got any questions that you want answered tweet paul at the paul goth using the hashtag askpg you can also find all of these details over in today's show notes all right until next time have a wonderful day